Thank you, everybody. I'm David G. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I'm very grateful for a recovery date of August 8th, 1994 in Alcoholics Anonymous in October 1st of 2019 in another fellowship. Very grateful to be here tonight. Thank you, Ashley, for your service as always. It's priceless. Dennis, you as well, brother. Always good to see you and all of you for coming out. And, you know, I say this a whole lot, you know, it'd be a good meeting with Dennis and Ashley, but it's a great meeting now that you guys are here. So thank you for allowing me to come out, share experience, strength, and hope. Man, we've been journeying through this book about 26 weeks, breaking it down in depth, taking a look at self in the form of ideas, concepts, beliefs, attitudes, prejudice. You know, we've looked at that over and over and over, how that set these men up to fail. And then we've applied that to our own life and looked at how it's done that with us. So as we've journeyed through, if we've done this work up to this point and carefully followed directions, there's no doubt we've had a spiritual experience. No doubt. Everybody that I've taken through this process in the last three years of that made it through it. And there's been several that attempted and, you know, somehow self always returns and it, it overrides. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like the master teacher once said, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. <laughs> and I do see that to be the case with a lot of this work. It's very tough. It's a commitment. It's dedication. It's the death of self and it doesn't die easy doesn't say, okay, David, you know, I've had you in my, for 52 years, and now that you want to go journey with God, have a great trip. No, it's not like that at all. It fights for everything, and it did, and it has. But the good news is there is a power greater than self, and we connect to that power. And once we do that, it only makes sense that with passion, we want to share this with our brother. If we don't have that passion after coming through the 12 steps as outlined in this book, I feel something was far missed, far missed. I have always had this passion ever since the beginning. You know, I've had a lot of things get in the way and try to block that off, but no, nothing's ever been able to override that. I think that once we get out of our chains, it's not only our duty, but it's our responsibility to go back and help our brothers. And I've been to some of the craziest places on earth. So we're on page 92 of the big book tonight. And from 89 to 96, we're going to be looking at the first visit. Last week, we looked at the interview process on page 90, questions we are to ask instead of just saying, hey, yeah, I'm here to sponsor. Let's go. You know, there's a process that we do. This chapter wasn't written for just good reading. This chapter was written to give us instructions on how to help the alcoholic addict the best that we possibly can with the information given us here. And for so long, I just read this chapter. I would read it. There would be good things I would pick out here and there, but never did I look at it as a set of instructions on how I should sponsor the next man and practice the principles that I have been given here in my own life. All of that's happened to me as a result of this. I'm not the same man. I don't react the same. I don't behave the same. Some days people would tell you, yeah, he does. And some days, you know, I probably do. I'm not, I'm nowhere near walking on water, but I, but I promise you, you know, this is an experience that I thank God I didn't miss. So we're going to look starting, I guess that's the bottom paragraph there on 92, where it says continue. And that was one of the words that my sponsor told me that he wanted me to remember if I didn't ever remember any more words in the book is continue, because that's where most of us drop the ball. We get through the first nine steps, we have an experience, but we don't really want to continue on with self-examination, prayer, meditation, and thoroughly helping our brother. This is so important. It is told us from the beginning of the book. Continue to speak of alcoholism 
or addiction as an illness. Now, I don't argue the fact that it's a disease. I know in 1972 it was medically proven that, you know, it is a disease. I don't argue that. But my book talks about it being an illness. Whether it's an illness, disease, I don't care. But the book over and over has talked about it being a illness, a fatal malady. And a lot of people say, yeah, David, absolutely. It's a spiritual illness. It's a spiritual malady. But if you read real carefully the book with a new set of eyes, you'll see when you get to the bottom of 64, if you would just hold your place right there and just for a minute flip back to page 64, and you drop to the bottom, let's look at the last sentence and the second to the last paragraph and then the paragraph following. Being convinced that self, not booze, not alcohol, not drugs, not lust, not sex, not food, self, manifested in various ways is what had defeated us. There's two words that jump at me there. One is self, the other is us. They're not the same. I identify with that during this process, but once I'm through it, then I don't do that anymore. It says resentment's the number one offender. It, talking about resentment, which is a common manifestation of self, it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it, resentment, which is a common manifestation of self, from it stem all forms of spiritual disease, not from the spirit. I had that all backwards for way too long. So when I'm working with a new man, back to 92, I want to look at where it says, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. But I want to look at that from a human condition, a mindset that we call self. I want to talk about the conditions of the body and mind. It says nothing about spirit, not one thing there about spirit. And if you remember in, well, at the top of page 23 in this book, it says the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind, not his body. And so I really want to stay focused on body and mind with the guys that I'm working with. It says keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. I think too many times we want to repeat what we've heard on the tape. Or my sponsor said something that was really cool. I want to repeat that. And, you know, I've done that. I mean, everybody does. But the book says keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience the experience you had coming through this process of the book and how it's outlined. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. That's step one. Even in the fellowship, I've seen this happen. Many who are doomed, they never really realize their predicament. They're sober, and we get so focused on being sober, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing because, hell, we got to have that. we got to have that if we're going to get anywhere. But if that's all I've come here to do, I've been here 28 plus years now. I'm done with that. But there's something that continues to show up to block me from the awareness of a power greater than self. And that ends up taking over. As we get sober, a lot of things begin to compete for our recovery. And the bad news is that stuff usually wins out. Now, I'm not talking about sobriety. I'm talking about recovery. A big difference in those two. It says doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients a whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism, which is step one, because you offer a solution, which is step two. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. If his own doctor's willing to tell him that he's an alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege, and you know, Bill, that's kind of how he's talked about it. He's talked about a prospect. He's talked about a protege. 
And these are the, are the people that remember, we're still in our first visit here. We haven't left. <laughs> I mean, we've not got to the second visit yet. So even though your protege may have not entirely admitted his condition, which would be step one, he's become very curious to know, look at this great promise and these four words how you got well. People tell me, oh, you don't ever get well here. Bullshit. Yes, sir. We do. If I can't, why am I here? There's no point. Will I ever be perfect? No. But don't ever tell me that I can't get well. I was at a conference speaking a a couple of years ago, and there was a young man that got up and said, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And man, they dogged him from the crowd. They dogged him. And he felt really bad. And he went and sat down and I got up to speak and I just told him, don't ever stop saying that, man. If you went through this process and you've had an awakening, you are enlightened from self. You have recovered. And if you will look up the word recovered in the 1913 Webster Dictionary, I promise you it says to be restored to health. And if I can't be restored to health here, there's no point in me being here at all. I'm not cured. I'm recovered. There's a big difference between those two. There is. And until I know what that difference is, I'm just running around kind of spouting off at the mouth things that I've heard in the fellowship. We don't get well here. We never recover. I mean, I heard that a lot when I first come in. And that worried me because I thought, if I can't recover, what am I going to do? Well, just stay sober. Sober's good, but sober's not well for a guy like me because I get pretty crazy sober. I promise. But look at what it says. Let him ask you that question if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. And that's first I need to know exactly what happened to me what I thought exactly happened to me and what it turned out to be actually that happened to me was completely two different things. But look what it says, stress the spiritual feature freely. People tell me, oh, you know, I heard this in meetings forever. Don't talk about God. You'll run off the newcomer. Well, I promise you whiskey or lust or sex or whatever it is, is going to chase you back. I promise you. I'm going to stress the spiritual feature freely. I'm not going to go to preaching and telling him what he needs to do to hurry up and get saved so he can be all right. But I'm going to stress the spiritual feature freely as it's laid out in this book and the directions that we found and we agnostics. We're going to talk about how spiritual terms is blocked us and how we are able to get beyond those beliefs to an experience. That's what we're looking for. So it says, if the man be agnostic or atheist, Make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. Page 93 for anybody that's coming late. We're at the top of the page there. Beautiful. I mean, that, that's a beautiful sentence. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. And I do that. I think that's been one of the greatest gifts that I've been given. Because when I come here, I was not a believer in a whole lot of stuff. And if you would have tried to start throwing those kind of beliefs on me and told me that's what I had to do in order to recover, I promise you I wouldn't be here today. So I don't do that, people. I make it very clear that we're going to have to look at a power greater than self. But I do not in any way try to share or pour my beliefs and conceptions onto them. You know, this is something that happens to a man. As he comes through this experience, he begins to connect with that power and whatever that is. I've seen some remarkable, remarkable things happen there on both sides of the aisle. So he can choose any conception he likes. Now, a lot of people would have trouble with that. But, you know, that's where we begin. But there's a condition, and here it is. Provided that it makes sense to him, the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself, step two, and that he live by spiritual principles 
which is the rest of the 12 steps. It works if you work it. You hear all this stuff. You know, the book says, you know, if we live it, it talks about it over and over and over. We live by spiritual principles. And today that's exactly where my life is. When dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. I'm just going to be, be blunt and <laughs> in general. My sponsor one time told me, he said, David, I've never asked God to take away my bad language and my cursing. I've never done that. He was about eight years sober at the time, and I was new. And I said, why? And he said, because I knew an asshole like you would show up one day, and I'd need it. <laughs> so yeah, I've never forgot that. And, and this is kind of what it's talking about. And dealing with such a person, you better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. Because if I get into all of this, the and thou and die and all of this, you know, I mean, that's not who I am to begin with, for one thing. That's all phony. It says there's no use of rousing prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Remember, if you've come through this process of the work, on page 47, if you would hold your page here and you would flip back to there, this is where we begin to outgrow a lot of those crazy beliefs that we had lived by for so long. This is called the spiritual terms exercise in the book. I hear people tell, oh, I'm going to do a step to inventory on my beliefs. You don't have to do that. It's here in step two. You don't have to do it in four. It's in two. And if you miss that, then you've missed that part of the work. It says, top of the page, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This applies to the other spiritual expressions, which you find in this book. And here it is. Do not let any prejudice, old ideas that you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. Now, we do have a template here at the High Road to the New Freedom, and um, we're happy if you will click on our WhatsApp group and, and look at that, or we can get that to you. If you wasn't here in those weeks that we went through this part of the book, we very much have everything that we've done here marked down. Ashley has done a remarkable job with that, a remarkable job in putting those templates together. So there's no use of rousing prejudice he may have against certain theological terms or conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. That is so important. That's so important for a guy like me coming here, not believing in anything or too much in anyone. Oh, my God. So your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. I promise you I've sponsored a bunch of men over these last three years that are very dedicated and faithful men. And I like it. I'm very proud of that. I am. I don't ever try to change any of that. I tell them from the beginning, there is no doubt that your religious education and training is far superior to mine. I don't even try to argue that with you. But here's the deal. Don't try to push that on to me because where I'm at and my beliefs and my convictions today, that's going to stand no matter what. You're the one that came to me. I didn't come to you. So I'm willing to take you through the process of the book, but we're going to have to set that stuff aside. And this worked very well. It has. I have a great respect for theirs. They have a great respect for mine. And we're able to move along just fine. The ones that don't, we end up parting ways as friends. We shake hands and, and go our own way. No big deal. But here's the deal, this next sentence. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. I don't care to add anything to what he already knows because there's one thing I know that he don't, and that's how to recover. 
from sexaholism, from alcoholism, and from drug addiction. Obviously, he don't know how to do that. No matter how good his conviction and no matter how good his faith is, he's not able to do that. He's disconnected from power. So he's saying <laughs> he's got all these other crazy ideas of why he does this stuff. He's a sinner. He's not good enough. He's this. He's that. No, he's disconnected from power. Same as I was. Connect back to the power. We recover. So he'll be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example of the truth, and this is so important right here, that faith alone is insufficient. Faith is a wonderful thing. It just is. I mean, being grounded in faith is a beautiful thing and trust. But by itself, it's insufficient. See, faith without works is dead, but works without faith is self-propulsion. It's self. It's, it propels self because I'm trying to work for my faith. I don't have to do that. It's something that I'm given. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not any of that. And this is for me. It may not be for you. You don't have to agree with anything that I say here. If your sponsor tells you something different, if you have other beliefs and conceptions, please, by all means, go by that. I'm not here trying to sell you on anything. I am sharing my experience, strength, and hope from this book and what has worked very well for not only me, but a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people. To be vital. Faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Without that, faith is nothing. It's dead. Let's flip back to page 14 in our book for just a second. Let's take a look at what Bill has said in his story. And we're going to drop to the bottom paragraph of page 14. We'll give everybody just a second to get there. Bill said, my friend, talking about Ebby Thatcher, had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all of my affairs. Particularly, it was imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Here it is. Faith without works is dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge on his spiritual life, we're talking about in steps four through nine. Through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And if he did not work, he would surely drink again. If he drank, he'd surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. And with us, it's just like that. So faith by itself, it's not enough for me. One of my grand sponsors through the years, God, I've had many. He talked about faith versus trust. He said, I can go to a circus and I can watch a man get up on a tight line and I walk that thing straight across with a wheelbarrow. And he says, I have absolute faith that that man's going to return to the crowd safely and all is going to be well. I have faith in that. He's been trained to do that. He knows how to do that safely and he will come back. He said, but let's add trust to that. He said, although I have faith in that, ask me to get up there and get in the wheelbarrow while he pushes it across. <laughs> chances are that aren't, that's not going to happen because I don't have enough trust. And so faith without trust for me, it's just kind of like step two in a belief. A belief without any action is just a belief. Columbus had showed us that in his story in this book. He stood on the seashore day after day after day and said, I believe that the earth is round, not flat. But he never took any action. He just stood there. And as long as he did that, people looked at him and thought, he's crazy. He's crazy. But one day he stepped out, he made a decision, and he took action based on that decision. And then his belief became a reality, a belief without no action. 
it's worthless as far as I'm concerned. So let him see that you're not there to instruct him in religion. Man, that is such a powerful direction right there. I look at that more than a suggestion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink or act out. Perhaps your story will help him see where he's failed to practice the very precepts that he knows so well. We represent no particular faith or denomination. Thank God for that sentence right there. Thank God for that, for a guy like me. We're dealing only with general principles common to most denominations. I need to remember this. This is more about him than it is about me at this point in the work. It just is. I'm focused on him. Outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, steps four through seven, how you straightened out your past, steps eight and nine, and why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him, step 12. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on plays a vital part in your own recovery. And if you will remember, all the way back on Roman numeral 27 in this book, it talked about at the bottom, it is important a man's brain be clear before he's approached and he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we offer. And so it's very important for me to remember that this plays a vital part in my own recovery as well. Actually, he may be helping you more than, than you are helping him. I've seen that happen more on more than one occasion. Make it plain. He is under no obligation to you. And I make that plain from day one. Not only are you in no obligation to me, but I'm in none to you. And that's just the way it is. That goes two ways, not just one for me. My hope is that only he will try to help others when he escapes his own difficulties. And that's one of the first things I ask a person when I take him through this work. If by God's grace, you make it through to the end, you have to be willing to pass this along the way that it was passed along to you. And most of them agree to that. And I've seen a lot of people doing it, many of them on this, on this call tonight. When he escapes his own difficulties, not if he does, when he does. <laughs> Great promise right there. But look at this sentence. Look at how important this is. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Where in the hell did our fellowship get so off track with that? Let us love you until you can love you. Me loving me has been the biggest problem that I've had in my life. I didn't know that. It was just like, put yourself at the top of the amends list. Take care of yourself first. All of this stuff. It's not self-love and it's not self-forgiveness and it's not any of that. It tells us over and over and over and over in this book, over and over. Place the welfare of other people ahead of your own. I mean, we can't ever stress that enough. If you would flip back to the bottom of page 19 for just a, a second at the very, very bottom and the top of page 20. It says most of us sense that a real tolerance of other people's shortcoming and viewpoints and a respect for their opinions. And man, we're way in the front of the book. I mean, when I got a man in this work, I mean, we're way up here in the beginning of the first step. And it's saying, 
we're going to sense a real tolerance of other people's shortcoming viewpoints and respect for their opinions or attitudes, which makes us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others. This is from the beginning of the book. It's sitting about David learning how to love David more. It's sitting about David learning how to forgive David more. It's not any of that. From day one, I need to be putting the welfare of other people ahead of my own because if I don't, I'm not going to make it through this process. I'm just not. I might stay sober at best. I'm not going to recover. Make it clear he's under no pressure that he needn't see you again and if he doesn't want to, and you shouldn't be offended if he wants to call it off. For he has helped you more than you have helped him. And I used to do that in the beginning, and I see a lot of people go through that now. They get very offended or they get real butthurt or their feelings or whatever. If someone calls them, they want them to sponsor them, and then they get to go on a little bit, and then they call it off, and they don't want to talk to them anymore, you know. And so I don't know what I did. What can I do better? What have I done wrong? This is this. this. Man, you just need to read the book. <laughs> you need to remember what we went through in that part of it. It says right there very clearly, you should not be offended if he wants to call it off. He's helped you more than you've helped him. Let him go. Somebody else will show up and take his place. I promise. It's kind of like it has always been said, you know. This is the fastest growing fellowship that nobody wants to join in the world. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, it took me a long time to get to that point. A long time when working with other people. That's something that I had to learn. And as a result of this experience happened to me, it came to me. I not only learned it, it was there. Today, I, my vocabulary is completely different in the way I talk to people. People call me all the time. What, what would you say in this situation and that? Nobody ever asked me that before. They stayed away from me, far away from me, whenever it came to stuff like that. If I was anything but sane and quiet and full of human understanding, it says, maybe you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all of the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. What a gift. The gift of desperation, the gift of hopelessness. The worse we feel, the better we are. Only We don't know that. But people that are making this 12-step approach, we know it. We know it all too well. The more hopeless he feels, the better for he'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. I'm probably not going to follow him so much. But if I'm starting to feel better, the family's come home. You know, the dog's starting to pay attention to me again. You know, the sheriff isn't coming around quite as often. Yeah, you know, I start feeling a little better then. So this has been my experience. But your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. He may rebel at the thought, key word. It's not him doing the rebellion. It's that thought itself. It's, remember, selfish thoughts, ideas, concepts, beliefs, and attitudes. So he may rebel at the thought, or the thought may rebel as him, of a drastic house cleaning, which we know to be step four, which requires discussion with other people, which we know to be step five. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action, steps four through nine. That's where the action steps are. That's where we're going to dive into action and begin to wake from the sleep that we've been in for so long to self. On your first visit, hmm, sounds like we might be making more than one, huh? On your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't tell me to go in there and start preaching recovery and throwing this book at him. I did that for years. 
some people would gravitate to it, but most would turn away, and I couldn't understand why. Well, they're not serious. They don't want this bad enough. Well, according to this book, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be talk about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and here's one direction I do not follow in this book. If you show his interest, lend him a copy, your copy of this book. I will buy him a book. I'll send him to where he can get books. You're not getting my book, and that's just how it is. So unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. This is a very important direction that, that we give him a chance to think this over a little bit. If you do stay, and here's one that I definitely don't go by too much anymore, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. You ever try to let a new guy do that for very long? Oh, my God, man. I mean, we've talked about hog killings, and I, I don't know what all. We're not going to do all that. <laughs> I mean, we, we can talk, whatever, but I don't want to let take off in, in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once. Boy, I've made some big mistakes with this. Big mistakes. In fact, it wasn't that long ago since I've been through this process. I had a young man come in and took to this process, and he was on fire for the first time in his life, man. This guy got sober. And he was moving. And it was like the more he went, the more I gave him. It was like, let's go. Every day. We read the book, read the book, read the book. Got to three, took three, got the inventory. Man, he was busting it out. I was like, wow, man, this dude, he's on fire. And he went all the way through the process and got to amends and balked. I thought, oh, no, no, you don't want to balk here. You definitely don't want to balk here. Well, he made a few amends and decided that he didn't want to go on with the rest of the book. And I kept telling him these other chapters that you all voted on just whenever that was last week or whatever. These are other areas of life after the experience has taken place in the first seven chapters. And I was encouraging him, man, don't let up. Don't do that. And he did that. And sure enough, he fell and has never been able to get back. And I've seen that happen over and over and over. So, yeah, just because a new man is anxious to proceed at once, I don't think it's always wise us being the sponsor, the guide, or whatever, to let them do that. And here's why. Because it's a mistake, for one thing. If he has trouble later on, he's likely to say, you rushed him. Now, I don't know if this guy ever said that or not. I don't know. Don't really care. You know. But when this book says you will be most successful, I want to pay close attention to that. Because I want to be the most successful in carrying this message as I absolutely can be with God's grace, help, and love. But this book says you will be most successful with alcoholic if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. I got no interest in that at all. None. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral spiritual hilltop. And I'm sure that I've done that through the years. And I think that other people do that as well. Sometimes, you know, I hear people, even in speaker meetings, talk at people rather than talk to people about their experience, strength and hope. I know I did that for a lot of years. That's why I try to be very careful, and I try to say I'm by no way a guru of anything. What I've done here works for me, and this is the experience that I share. So never, and anytime this book says never, that's a strong direction for me. Talk down to anybody from a moral spiritual hookup. Talk. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Now, remember, this was first mentioned back on page 25 of the book. And it talks about, you know, 
the great fact is this and nothing less, we've had these experiences, but it also talks in the paragraph just above that. When therefore we're approached by those in whom the problem had been solved. And remember, the problem is not drugs, alcohol, lust, booze, sex. The problem is self. There was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. Now, for a long time, I was confused with this direction that it talks about here. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for inspection. How do you do that? Well, if you look at the bottom of page 94, I think it absolutely tells us how to do that. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Don't contradict those views. Tell him that you feel as once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action in steps four through nine. Lay out those simple kit of spiritual tools. Lay them at his feet. And it goes on to talk about Linda and a copy of the book. So that's where the spiritual tools for his inspection are. Show him how they work with you. Don't tell him. Show him. I want to show him through my behavior, through my conduct today, and through my experience, exactly how that can happen. Offering friendship and fellowship and tell him that, you, that if he wants to get well, you'll do anything to help. And I absolutely do that. But by the same token, I make it very clear right here. And it's the same thing that my sponsor did with me in taking me through this work. He said, David, I will not work any harder for your recovery than you do. He said, I'll jump through hoops. I'll get up. If you want to call me and you're in a bind, you call me. But if you've acted out, do not call me. That can wait till morning, whatever. I'll do anything to help you get well, but at the same time, I'm not going to work any harder than you. You want to take forever to write your inventory and go back to sleep with self while you're doing that? You go ahead, but I'm not going to be there with you to do that. You're going to do that on your own. And he was absolutely right. If he's not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for his sprees, you may have to drop him till he changes his mind. Very important instruction right here. This he may do after he gets hurt some more. Along to save the addict. We do. Because we love him. I mean, absolutely we love him. But we can't save him. It has been my experience. The more they get hurt, the better off it is. Because that's what brings that willingness that we read about a while ago, that gift of desperation. Anytime I continue to pick one of them up, dust him off and you know and we may feel good about ourselves and say that's a good thing to do that's not always the truth so if he's sincerely interested and wants to see you again ask him to read the book in the interval after doing that he must decide for himself now for me and the way that i was sponsored through this book and the way that i sponsor people through this book i don't ask them to read the book in the interval i read the book with them it's not because I don't think they know how to read. It's, because, it's not because I don't think they understand what they read. But I have found much power in reading it together, breaking it down, showing the ideas, concepts, and beliefs, and the action that we take based on those, not even knowing any better, and the reality of our situation is destructive. And we pick that apart in the book as we go through it, and it's just had great success. So I don't ask them to do that. We read the book. Thank you, Dennis. So he should not be pushed, prodded, 
by you, his wife, or his friends. I love this. This is why I don't do interventions. This is why I don't do all that stuff. Is this sentence right here? If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we do outwardly. It's just not going to work. And that's been my experience. So let me read one more paragraph and then we'll, uh, we'll close it up. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. Boy, I used to rebel at that, at that right there. A guy would come tell me, you know, I want to go to celebrate recovery or I want to go to church or I want a new sponsor. I don't know why you'd want to do all that. I don't do any of that anymore. You know what? If you can find another spiritual approach that works for you, I encourage you go do that because, but this is the one that works for me. And if you're going to work with me, this is the way we have to do it. It says we have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that has worked for us and it has. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like at any case to be friendly and let it go at that. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer, the gift of desperation. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. I don't chase him down. I don't call him. I don't do any of that. If you leave such a person alone, beautiful instructions right here. He may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. I've seen this over and over and over. Leave him alone. That's what my sponsor told me, David. Leave him alone. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny another. The opportunity to live and be happy, one of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half a dozen prospects. That's six of them, back to back. He often says that he continued to work on them. He might deprive others who have since recovered of their chance. So I'm accountable to my values, not yours. And you're accountable to your values, not mine. What we do with this work is what we do. The way that I sponsor men today, I will pick them up, read them through the book, all the way up, do the exercises in step two, we agnostics. I'll move in, take an in-depth look itself. Make a decision on page 62, confirm it with a prayer on 63, put them into the writing. That's going to take a little bit. At that point, it frees me up to grab another man. Do the same with him. Grab another and another and another. And I've watched this grow into a massive fellowship of men that have recovered from sex addiction, (laughs) alcoholism, and drug addiction. The power of God goes deep, and we get to be the vessel for that. Man, what a great, great thing. So we're finished with the first visit. When we come back next week, we'll be looking at the second visit. People say, how do you know it was the first visit? Because the first sentence there says, suppose now you're making a second visit. I'm pretty sure we were still in the first all that time. So anyway, it's great to be here. It's always an honor. And Ashley, again, thank you so much for your service. Dennis, you as well. And thank you, everybody, for coming out. Glad to be here. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. I'd like to see if you can unpack a little bit of what you just said at the close of your remarks when you talked about, well, you know, I go through this and then I go through what we agnostics and and I do this and then I uh, have them start writing and then then I go grab another one, and I will put, we, this way we've been able to build a massive fellowship. So my experience has been that it takes a little longer than that, and I don't know if it's 
just tentativeness on behalf of my sponsees or, you know, maybe it's my tentativeness, but, or ability to let them do what they're supposed to do. Is there any prescribed time frame that you recommend in working with others? And uh, I wonder if you could share some of that. Absolutely, Eric. Always good to see you. You know, it's, it's agreed from the beginning. You know, the first thing that we do after we talk for just a minute is we go to page 90 and we go through that interview process. And right there, you know, I, I make it very clear that if he's not able to meet with me for one hour a day, five days a week, that I'm not going to be able to work with him. I'm not going to meet one or two times a week and take four to six months to get to inventory. I'm just not going to do that. So for me, that has to be a commitment from the beginning. And it to also begin in 10 and 11, the way that I've described in my experience and the way that I sponsor people. So it's very important for me that that be known from the start because otherwise, you know, I just don't want to pull around with that. I will refer them to a lot of people that I know that can work with them in the book, but you know, that's just one of the conditions that I have. So thanks for your question. On page 94, we're in the second paragraph in the middle where it says suggests how important it is that he placed the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Uh, I have a lot of women that I work with who are codependent or love addicts, and we can take that and kind of twist it. Like if we're sick or whatever, it's like, oh, I still got to be helping others. You know, we don't take care of ourselves. And I just wondered if you could elaborate on that a little bit or share experience, strength and hope around it. Well, I think it, you know, for me, the key word there is the welfare of other people. You know, I, for some, for so long, I was told that the new person is the most important person at the meeting. And I hear that. And so obviously I go along with that. But as time has went along, what I understand is that the welfare of that man, that man's welfare is what's most important. But if he's the most important person in that meeting, then where have I put myself in that recovery process? If my recovery is not the most important above anybody else's to me, then I've sold myself short. So if I want to recover, then I'm going to have to be there and all in for me. But, but absolutely the welfare, I should put that ahead of my own. So for me, in that question, that's the part of it that I'm looking at. You know, I want to put the welfare of my spouse ahead of my own. But at the same time, I'm not going to put anybody else's recovery ahead of my own. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my experience. Yeah, this is, uh, boy, what we got out of this reading, this is a tradition 11 where this is a program of attraction, not promotion. And I think every young sponsor has to go through the, the practice of trying to save somebody, trying to push somebody, trying to get them to do their work. And it actually, it just burns you out. When I find a new sponsee that's asking me to sponsor them, if they're willing to work every day for an hour until we get into the writing, that's what I kind of will start them out because they're brand new. But once they hit that writing, you know, it's up to them to call and schedule time. It's up to them to pursue me. And I'm always there for them. I mean, if we make a time, I'll be there. And they have to want it. And that's what I think it has to be. It has to be that... They want this for themselves and I can't save anybody. I have to let them, I'll be there for them and I'll take them through this work. 
but I can't push them. And uh, that's why I think it's a program of attraction and not promotion. Thanks. Uh, the little bit of experience I have, you know, and David uh, took me through uh, the work also. Um, you know, I, I try to, myself, I try to read that, have, you know, read page 58, you know, and uh, read the part where it says, willing to go to any lengths to recover, uh, you know, let go of our old ideas. I mean, there's so much packed in there, you know, no human power. But, you know, are we willing to go to any lengths to recover, you know, and, um, you know, Part of, part of, you know, what's been shared already is, you know, part of recovery for me is keeping my commitments. You know, that's part of, I guess it's part of honesty, right? Being able to com keep commitments or communicate to someone if I can't keep the commitment or apologize if something came up and I didn't remember or something like that, you know, um, but I think part of recovery for me is definitely um, duties and obligations um, for, you know, sobriety, of course, uh, the program and the fellowship, of course, my wife and family, of course, my job, I mean, it's life, but part of recovery is keeping commitments. So if someone's not calling me and I, you know, let them know, hey, what's going on or you know, I just let them know, you know, uh, you know, part, part of a, my recovery, our recovery is keeping commitments. And I might take them back to page 58 and say, you know, we, we agreed. We're willing to go on any lengths to recover. Um, you know, you know, I, I remind people, too, that that I work with, like, this is my step 12. You know, I'm going to step your, uh, respect your step one, your step two, your step three, whatever step you're on, I'm going to respect you and what you're, where you're at and just, you know, have consideration for it's my step 12, you know. And so if someone is not communicating with me and, and um, not doing the work, you know, it just... You know, I, I tell them, well, maybe you can find another way. You know, I mean, for me, I can't. You know, it's not going to work for me. You know, maybe you can. You know, I mean, maybe that's possible. It's not possible for me. You know, but um, if we're going to work together and I just, you know, and I don't try to lay down the law like I'm the ultimate authority. But at the same time, I kind of lay down the law like the, it's already written for us. It's already there. You know, uh, we decided to go to any lengths to recover, you know, um, and I might take them the spiritual experience and the, uh, you know, the willingness, the honesty, the open mindedness uh, is, is, you know, indispensable. Right. And so we're not perfectly honest. We're not perfectly willing. We're not perfectly open minded. But at least if we can look at that and reflect on that and work toward that as an aim, that's 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 OK, you know. But if we're not willing, then then the program isn't going to work anyway. Like I, I remind people, it says in 58, somewhere on page 58, you know, willing to give ourselves to this simple program, I believe that, you know, and those who cannot and will not. David always points that out, cannot, will not, cannot, will not. Those are the guys that don't make it, you know, and 
and and the only reason I make it, it's not because I can and I will, it's but it's because I can and and I'll find a way, you know, to to do my best. Well, I just want to say thank you. You know, Joe is a is a great example of this process of the work. You know, I, I take him through it uh, some time ago, and he sponsors a lot of men today. And one of the things with Joe is that he always comes back and he wants to know, you know, about this and about this and about this. And we pick this book apart together. So I'm always grateful for Joe and his, and his service. I send a lot of men Joe's way, and, and he's he's always been there to pick them up. And uh, so very grateful for our relationship together. You know, I, I think we sponsor the way we were sponsored. I just do. And how I was taken through this work, I don't add to it and I don't take away from it. And, you know, I, I've found it to be the most successful. And, you know, my sponsor told me early on, he said, David, I sponsor sponsors. And he said, you're going to sponsor. If you go through this process, you're going to sponsor. And sure enough, you know, he sent a, a lot of people my way. And, you know, I have to be willing to pick them up and take them through the book. Now, that's changed some. You know, I got sick for about five months there, four, four to five months. And uh, so that's changed a lot. I'm a little more selective in how many people I work with at a time anymore. Whereas most of you already know, you know, earlier there in 2022, I was taking almost 20 men through this process of the book. That's hard. That's real hard. And so I learned that, uh, you know, I have to balance that. And so. Yeah, very grateful, very grateful for these directions. So thank you, Ashley, for asking me to share again.